ladies and gentlemen, clap your hands if your cunts aren't stuck and sandwiched between your fucking brain. Clap your cunt one time, ladies and gentlemen. That was a rude introduction, ladies and gentlemen, but remember, like I said before earlier, I love you. And you're myself. that why I love them. That is why I love you, ladies and gentlemen. You're so fucking fascinating. You ladies and gentlemen. You're me! You're me. You really are, you know? We really are one, and we must commune. We must get together and have, like, dinners. Dinner parties and dine. Have each other over to our houses, our homes, and eat, and dance, and dance to parlor music, ladies and gentlemen. You know the music from the later years where people were, you know, real, real, random people. The later years, ladies and gentlemen, parlor music. I love moments, you know. I love moments where communication transcends. The barriers of language, culture, race, sexuality, political platforms, and emotional wells, ladies and gentlemen. I wrote that, and somehow I really hope I believe it one day. But I did write it. Because right now I don't feel that way. about me, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get to the best. Let's get to the base of this fucking scribble note that I wrote in the middle of the fucking night. Drunk, high, whatever the fuck. Whatever the fuck I wrote this. I don't even remember when I wrote this. I'm standing here talking to people, pleading about fucking, you know, emotional wells. And round the being from my consciousness I don't even remember when I wrote this shit. I don't even know what the fuck this is. But you must believe me. And you better believe me because I would never lie to you. I would never steer you wrong. Why would I waste my time doing shit like this? You better believe in it. And you're asking yourself, why is he getting on his high horse? Why is he screaming about performing?
fucking talent, have no fucking work ethic, have no fucking substance to their fucking lives.
that's what it is, a pepper mill. Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana. Daylight come and me one go home. Six foot, seven foot, eight foot bunch. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent September 22nd in the year of our Lord, 2019. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. Six foot, seven foot, eight foot bunch. If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtra and the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire. 18 years of service, diploma in theater arts. I'm a thespian to the bone. They used to strap me into something called a dance belt. Yep. They used to strap me into something called a dance belt. And that's basically a male thong. It's a fucking thong that goes right up your butt crack, cups your ball sack, keeps your junk in place when you're dancing around like a ballerina. They made me do jazz dancing, ballroom dancing, tap dancing, jazz dancing, ballet dancing. I fucking hated it. Hated every fucking second of it. I was in hell. But I thought it was crucial to my career as an actor. I went through so many turmoils as a young actor. 17 years old, they sold me up the river, sent me to fucking theater school. I didn't know any damn better. I just wanted to be like Denzel, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Morgan Freeman, you know, Betty Davis. I wanted to have Betty Davis eyes, but no. They made me dress up in a fucking dance belt, shooking and dancing. Come, Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana. Tap dancing, skipping and jiving, shooking and jiving, dancing to Charleston. You know, doing a fucking minuet. I fucking hated it. One of the big, um, one of the big uh, classroom assignments was uh, we were all to do a production of Ragtime. Now, Ragtime is a famous musical. It's about uh, early immigrants to America, New York City, you know, uh, Statue of Liberty, uh, you know, those immigration boats, all those Jews, Italians, Polacks, Negroes, well, I guess more so slaves, you know. We didn't really immigrate uh to America. We were, uh, how do they say, uh, contracted. <laughs> if I want to be PC about it, they were contracted. But um, yeah, you know, it was all about the hodgepodge of ethnicity in, you know, I guess, turn of the century, early 20th century, 
uh, New York City, ragtime. And it focused on all the music. Well, not all the music. The music of ragtime. I can't really hum it. Can't really sing it. Like, you know when you see a monkey? You see, Remember? Have you ever seen a monkey in a, like, Looney Tunes commercial? And he's got one of those little bellhop hats on with the little elastic and he you know he lifts the little bellhop hat and he fucking lifts his little hat and he's jumping up and down with a little uh with a little cup right and he's banging the little cup on the ground and he's banging his cup on the ground and uh there's a fat italian guy oh, oh yeah, no 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 some fat italian guy and he's like turning a crank you know, he's turning one of those musical cranks and the music comes out. Something like that, like ragtime music. So anyways, it's this musical, like I said, about all these different ethnicities and shit. But my acting class in theater school, they were all lily liver white. Every last white one of them, they were all white. Well, except for my black ass and uh, this other native guy. He was a real weirdo, but that's neither here nor there. Love you, Frank, if you're listening. But, uh, you know, it was just my black ass, Frank, and a bunch of white boys and girls. And we're doing this fucking musical ragtime. It's like, like I said, it's about ragtime music. You know, oh, the black man down there in Harlem playing ragtime music. The main character's name was Cole House Porter. And a buddy of mine had the lead role, great singer, great dude, but white as a fucking, uh, you know, dental floss, you know, white as dental floss. And this guy's like, you know, playing, oh, like some fucking ragtime singer. Obviously, I couldn't do it. (laughs) But, you know, in a move of, what do you call it, in some kind of uh, artistic statement, the director decides to cast me as this character called Willie Conklin, an Irish bigot. So my, my line, I had a line in a song, right? I sing a song. Willie Conklin. If he thinks only niggers get shit, the Irish had to get used to it. Uh, I don't know. I'm really losing my interest in doing voices. <laughs> I used to be better at doing voices. Now I just don't give a fuck anymore. I'm just angry. want to scream. But, you know, it's like, I used to do like, yeah, I had to do like some fucking Irish accent, dress up in a fucking leprechaun costume. It was retarded. And, you know, this is the shit people talk about when they say, you know, oh, look how far we've come in any industry, really. You know, this is just a straight up fucking mockery of it. I'm surprised they didn't get me singing, no. So Daylight come and me one go home. Justin Trudeau, I'm going to get to that. But anyways, there you have it. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor. I am also an alcoholic. Yes, two years and ten months of sobriety. I was at the old laundromat this morning. Yep, the old, the old laundromat. Crack of dawn. Doing laundry. And a far cry from where I used to be. Sunday mornings, I was usually in a blackout or still drinking and smoking from uh, Saturday night, you know. And here I am, due diligent, doing laundry. Ah, 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 
crack of dawn, top of the morning to you. Sunday morning. Happy. Hallelujah. So yeah, it's a role reversal. I've got my life back. Even if it is doing laundry like a peasant. <laughs> I'm doing laundry. Yeah, it is what it is. So I'm over at the laundry mat this morning. And uh, I see this young woman. Yeah, she had to be between the ages of 22 and 32. A young woman sprawled out on a bench in the laundry mat. She's got a blanket over top of her, right? So, you know, she sprawled out on the bench. She's basically squatting, you know, like, you know, so what, now you live in the laundry mat? Is that your plan? She's basically squatting on a bench in the laundry mat. Now, I tote the line of empathy and judgment. On one hand, I empathize. I am an alcoholic. We have a saying in recovery. It is, remember when. And I remember when. I was homeless, living in a men's shelter. I was in my deluded world. I was in the throes of alcoholism. To, to, be, to, be, to be defined as the two-part condition that I adhere to, and many alcoholics adhere to, and medical societies adhere to. The two-part condition of alcoholism. Number one, I have an allergic reaction to alcohol. If I take a drink of alcohol, I break out in an allergic craving, and I cannot safely say when I'll stop. There's no reason for me to stop once I've started. And number two, the mental obsession. When you are in active alcoholism, you are mentally obsessed. You are constantly thinking about alcohol. It is on your mind. You're disgusted when you're with yourself when you're not drinking. You're miserable and it's really all consuming. You know, it's a, you know, it's a, an addiction, an obsession. So, you know, those are the two defining characteristics of the alcoholic. Um, allergic reaction to alcohol and a mental obsession with alcohol. So I empathize. I've lived it. And through the grace of recovery, you know, I have a daily reprieve, a remittance from the horror of alcoholism. And uh, I don't even think about it other than to speak on it on the on the podcast. I don't even think about it. So. So I can empathize. I can empathize. I understand. She's an alcoholic. She's some sort of addict. She's a person suffering with some sort of substance abuse. I empathize. I understand that world. Or at least I've lived some parts of that world. Right? But on the other hand, the hand of judgment, it's like, you know, like I said, she's a young woman, 22 to 32, she was dressed all right. She didn't look like she's, you know, she's obviously some sort of street girl, but she's really kind of young at the matter, young in the situation. You can tell because she had a very smug look on her face and she sprawled out on the bench and it, it was almost kind of hacky, kind of showy as in like, oh, pay attention to me. Look at me. Aren't I a hard living, badass woman? I'm a street woman and, uh, you know, not even in the sense of like a street walker or an escort or a prostitute. More like just like I'm a street person. I'm a down and out, dirty, you know, fucking tough bitch or whatever, right? And, you know, this is real life. And, 
look at me, I'm so gritty, and I live the street life. And, you know, you, you, you could tell that she had a smug kind of arrogance and pride to the situation. And it's like, yo, there's no arrogance or pride in this situation, young lady. You are a fucking homeless person on a bench. You know, this is your golden years. Or rather, these are your, this is your golden opportunity. You're young. You know, she's early 20s, early 30s. You're young. Why piss it away with an addiction? There ain't nothing cute or funny here. You're laying on a bench in front of people who are trying to just do their laundry and get on with their fucking day. You know, you're casting an ugly, abnormal shadow in a normal situation. Normal people do laundry. Abnormal people sleep on laundry mat benches. So I told that line of empathy and judgment. But through the grace of recovery, anybody can have it. What I did was I got into a 12-step program. That's nothing official. These are 12-step meetings that are conducted pretty much in every city all over the world. Every city all over the world, there's some sort of 12-step recovery meeting that you can attend. And what you do is you show up. It's all very discreet. You can share on your experiences as a, you know, whatever you define yourself as. And um, you can hear from others their trials and tribulations. And through that process, you're part of a community. There's no emphasis on God. You don't have to believe in anything in particular other than uh, you could just call it the power of the group. It can be the God of your choosing. There's no agenda on God. It's all strictly um, you get what you give, basically. If you want to give yourself to recovery, then it's yours for the taking. And um, that's what worked for me. I did a 12-step program. I took it day by day. And eventually, I found myself in a new day. Up at the crack of dawn. At the laundry mat. Doing laundry. Hey, happy hallelujah. Jonathan Ramcharan. Alcoholic. I am also an a janitor. Yes. I push a little mop bucket. And I put the like the I dip the mop in the muck bucket and I mop the floor. Mopping floors. Um, I wash windows, you know. Then I use a squeegee. Washing windows. Um, I push a little garbage trolley. Push a garbage trolley, uh, you know. Empty garbage bins, buckets, things like that, slop buckets, uh, organic waste buckets, you know, garbage, uh, window washing, you know, mopping. Uh, You know, it's blessed. It's blessed. Number one, it um, covers my overhead, you know. Um, Hey, I'm like everybody else. Uh, I got to pay bills and shit. I wasn't born on third base, motherfucker, you know, thinking I hit a triple. I was born in the goddamn dugout, born in the bleachers, born in the parking lot, you know. Born with a fucking security guard's uniform. Get to work, asshole. You know, standing there by the gate, ripping tickets. You know, I was born in the dugout. So, you know, if I got to fucking push a mop bucket, (laughs) mop a floor, (laughs) so be it. You know, it's blessed. It covers my overhead, you know, helps me pay the bills. Um, It keeps me in recovery because idle hands 
are the devil's playground. <laughs> so when you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs and twiddly D, that's when all the negativity, the stupidity, the um, obnoxious behavior, the grass looking greener on the other side, that's when all that shit creeps out and you start making bad choices. So the more you can focus on positive things, productive things, the better. And to the point, it facilitates my performing. Yes, I am an actor with goals of success. So part of that game is, you know, keeping the hustle alive. I got to keep the lights on. I got to pay bills. I got to pay for um, upgrading my equipment, whether it be computer for the podcast or microphones or website or headshots or taking a class, you know, whatever the fuck it is, you know, plastic surgery, whatever the fuck it is, you know, um, it keeps me in the game of performing, you know? You can't be sleeping on people's couches for the rest of your career. You know, you can't be playing the starving artist card. At some point, yeah, that's the funny thing about being a starving artist. Unless you make it, you're pretty much a loser. <laughs> they don't tell you that once you become a starving artist. It's only romantic if you make it. If you don't make it, then you're just some loser. <laughs> you're just some loser who never made it. And you're broke and you live on, you're living on people's couches and you're just pathetic. So, you know, you got to do what you can to get where you want. And uh, that's part of my hustle. Janitor. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Ten years of experience. If you're a listener to J.R. the P., Jonathan Ramchand on the podcast then you're well aware. Um, I'm a stand-up comedian. I've been grinding on it for the last 10 years, um, ups and downs with the alcoholism. I was performing drunk and high on stage, fucking up my uh, relationships and connections with fellow uh, peers, uh, clubs, really digging myself a hole. Nothing that I can't move past with people, I believe. I never did anything um, unforgivable like... You know, but I've had people do some pretty foul shit to me in this business, you know, and um, would I forgive them? I don't know. You know, there's been a few people that have done some things to me, um, you know, don't really want to talk about it. But, uh, you know, I'm not talking like Weinstein shit, but like, you know, just real fucking, wow, I can't believe you backstabbed me like that or you did me dirty like that. Wow. So I've had my fucking gripes. And um, But I've also had a lot of blessings, and I have a lot of fun doing stand-up comedy. And i got to remind myself that, um, well, not what i got to remind myself, rather than what I learned, is sometimes things look different than what you imagined. But if you can seek an acceptance, then it will all work out. You know, if you can seek acceptance in what you're dealing with, then it can all work out. Because what I want, what I want, and what I push for doesn't always come to me. You know what I mean? Um, I've been putting a lot of effort into shows, producing shows, getting on shows. And I was met with a real ugly reality. There's just too many too hungry. Nobody cares to really network. There's a lot of phonies, a lot of fucking fake 
uh, phony people in this industry. And basically, my best bet is to just stick to myself for now. Try to cultivate the podcast. Try to keep on point. Try to dot my T's and cross my I's. And, you know, live and let live. So that's what I'm doing. And yesterday was a beautiful day. You know, I grabbed a coffee, went for a walk in my neighborhood, plunked down on a bench and just wrote. Wrote some jokes for an hour. Kept myself fresh. Um, I got a lot of plans in the future for how I want to move, how I want to um, situate myself in the game. Got a lot of plans that are in motion. I'm just trying to keep on top of the writing, try to keep on top of the podcast because this is a portal. The podcast is a portal to the uh, audience. So I'm just trying to ride this fucking portal, write my jokes, keep positive, keep focused. And uh, that's what I'm doing for now. Hallelujah. So those are the four things that define me at the moment. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor, alcoholic, janitor, stand-up comedian. So welcome to the show. And here we are. Monday, September 23rd, in the year of our Lord, 2019. Had to take a little bit of a break, take a a little bit of a break from recording yesterday. I was tired, it was the middle of the afternoon, Sunday, like I said, I did laundry, I was wiped out, I said, fuck it, just wanted to recharge my batteries, chill out, watch Netflix, fuck around, alright, I'm a human being. But here we are, Monday, September 23rd, 2019, and I want to talk about some news articles with y'all. Couple news articles from this past weekend going into today. Check out this one. Family of multimillionaire who died mysteriously in Ethiopia searches for answers. Isn't that horrific? So I got this article from the CBC.ca. This article is written by Shanifa Nasser. Michael Gebru's life changed in an instant when he won $10.7 million, but he remained as humble as ever, says friends. Family and friends and members of the Ethiopian community gathered at a parked church at a packed church on Saturday, to grieve and remember Michael Gebru, a man they say remained a generous soul concerned about his community, despite going from laid-off assembly plant worker to multimillionaire. Gebru, 41 years old, died under mysterious circumstances in his home country of Ethiopia last week. Just two years ago, his life changed in an instant when he won the lottery, thinking at first that he'd netted about $15, only to realize he had won $10.7 million. Asked at the time what he planned to do with the money, the Scarborough resident said, I've always said that if I won the lottery, I'd help people in need. That's exactly what he did, say those who knew him. Gebru only bought a home for himself a few weeks ago, one he would never get to live in they say. It took him a long time to think about himself, said family member Atelita Asafa. Q 
community and church were Gebru's first priority, and Asifa said Asifa, adding he donated to several churches in Toronto, Ethiopia, and Somalia after acquiring his newfound wealth. Questions are still swirling. Some people would change because they have money, so they didn't so they'd go a different way, said Asifa. He didn't change. Amid the morning and a string of questions still swirling around Gebru's death, friends and family say they still don't know exactly what happened to him, but told CBC News they worry he was targeted for his money. The exact circumstances of his death remain under investigation. Yeah. $10 million. $10.7 million. Man goes out, helps the community, generous to those around him. But ultimately, some evil person, evil group of people. Uh, well, it's still too early to speculate, but they suspect he was murdered for his money. And, uh, you know, I don't know. And he wasn't a stranger, an outsider to the land, his homeland. You know, it's not like he was some traveler abroad flaunting his money in, uh, you know, some impoverished nation, according to the article. He was in his home country around, um, uh, around his people trying to do good. And, you know, some something terrible happened to him. Hmm. I thought that was an interesting story only in the fact of, well, in many aspects, you know, a man's life was taken for some shallow fucking reason, like as if the lottery money means anything, you know, money is stability and it is ease, but it's not anything else, you know, like. What, you're going to sell your soul? You're going to kill another man for money? Is that how you want to earn your money? By killing another man? That money can't possibly bring you happiness. Unless you're a sociopath or a psychopath. But like, the money's tainted. The money's no good. Money can't buy me happiness. But I'm happy as when I'm having a ball. And I'm having a ball. And I'm having a ball. Money can't buy you happiness, motherfucker. Don't you get it? You gotta have like, you know, you know, inward goals of like, you know, family, friends, passions, hobbies, things that give you inspiration, not just a makeup, not just a fucking bank account, right? So I thought that was an interesting story. I thought that was interesting that, you know, in 2019, people still... Go that route. Like, didn't Sherlock Holmes teach you idiots anything? Hmm, elementary, my dear Watson. Uh, You're not going to get away with it. So I hope to God they catch these fucking criminals. And um, hmm, I just think it's very interesting that people would still choose to murder for money. How that monkey-like, caveman-like fucking meathead mentality of, you know, ooga booga, I smash rock over your head. Ooga booga, I take your pebbies or your pebbles. Oogie boogie. People just still that stupid. 
It's unbelievable. Anyway. Um, what else here? Oh, here's an embarrassing one. U.S. man dies during underwater proposal, girlfriend says. <laughs> this is also from the... Actually, no, this is from ctvnews.ca. ctvnews.ca. U.S. man dies during proposal underwater, girlfriend says. Christy Samos wrote this article. A couple from Louisiana had their romantic trip to Tanzania. Uh, a couple from Louisiana had their romantic trip to a Tanzanian resort end in tragedy after the man died while proposing to a woman underwater, according to local reports. Kenesha Antoine posted a memorial to her partner, Stephen Weber, that included photos and videos of the proposal on Facebook. <laughs> Is that how you memorialize a person with a fucking Facebook post? Oh my god. <clears throat> In the video, Weber can be seen swimming up to the viewing window of a submerged room that allows guests to look into the ocean. He then holds up a note proposing to Antoine, or that's the girl, Kenesha Antoine, and pulls out a ring before swimming out of the pool. The note read, I can't hold my breath long enough to tell you everything I love about you, but everything I love about you, I love more every day. Will you please be my wife? Question mark. Marry me? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Mm. Antoine wrote in her memorial post that since Weber never emerged from those depths, he never got to hear my answer. Yes, yes, a million times yes, I will marry you. Oh, God. It's a tragic story. You never got to embrace... We never got to embrace and celebrate the beginning of the rest of our lives together as the best day of our lives turned into the worst in the cruelest twist of fate imaginable, she wrote. The U.S. Department of State is quoted in local reports on Friday confirming that a U.S. tourist had died in Tanzania but did not offer details. Ay ay ay. Isn't that a like like the like the lady said, like the woman said there, um We never got to embrace and celebrate the beginning of the rest of our lives together, as the best day of our lives turned into the worst in the cruelest twist of fate imaginable, she wrote. Yeah, that is a horrible twist of fate, man. Like you know, a part of me is like, you know, well, maybe he just wanted an easy out. Like, didn't, like, haven't you ever been stuck in that position where, like, how do I get rid of this bitch? You know, like, she's clinging on to you. She wants to marry you. She's introducing you to her mother, her family, her friends. She wants to shop you around at work. Oh, this is my hubby. You're like, oh, God, how do I get away from this woman? Maybe he took the easy way out, you know, drowning in an ocean. But on the other hand, too, it's like I said, like the twisted, horrible fate of, wow, how unimaginably cruel. Like, of course I joke, but, <laughs> like, imagine that. Imagine if that, well, number one, happened to you, how fucked up that would be, you know, to be either person in that situation. Obviously, the victim would be the worst <laughs> position to be in that scenario, but. Just imagine that. Or imagine knowing somebody that happened to. Like, 
my chair squeaking. I, like, I feel bad about it, you know, like, and I'm not even, I don't even know these people. Like, I ma- imagine, how do you console somebody like that? Like, you know, on the same day you get proposed to, your fiance drowns in the proposal, in a proposal accident. <sighs> Anyways, that's like the twisted fate of the gods. The cruel fate of, um, you know, the twisted fate of life sometimes. And um, that's the really the only reason why I mention it. Because, you know, the irony or the, the twist is so deep where it's like on the day you propose marriage to begin a new life, you drown during the proposal. Like it's so it's like a morbid it's like a more it's like a morbid story or a morbid like you know it's almost like a cheesy like writer it's like almost like a cheesy writing plot twist or something you know just uh. so anyways thought I'd mention that story um oh yeah it's a day, Daylight come and me one go home. Come, Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana. Daylight come and me one go home. Six foot, seven foot, eight foot bunch. A Prime Minister. Prime Minister Trudeau. Justine Trudeau, Justin Trudeau, our Prime Minister, has been uh, photographed in blackface. Yes, that was the breaking news article of the week. And going forward during this election season, um, the federal election for the Prime Ministership of Canada, coming up October 21st, I believe... This is a blow. This is a big blow to the uh, liberal campaign. So uh, smooth young Justin Trudeau there. Um, yeah. He was photographed in some of his earlier days. The earliest one dating back to 20, sorry, 2001. 18 years ago when he was a teacher at some crummy fucking third rate college out in Vancouver or something. There was like some kind of party, some kind of lame fucking teacher's lounge party or some shit. The theme of it was Arabian Nights. This fucking ding dong comes dressed up in like fucking brown face, caked in brown cooking butter or whatever the fuck, caked in brown. And he's got a fucking turban on. Big smiling Cheshire cat grin, fucking dummy. Big bulging blue eyes. Beaming out at the crowd. Oh, 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 aren't I swarmy and cute, you fucking dummy. And he, like, he can't even cop to it, right? Like, I guess another video surfaced of him in blackface with his tongue out and alleged, you know, like... And, you know... So those are the three cases, you know? The one is when he's dressed up in his teacher's college in a turban... That's 2001. There's another video that surfaced recently of just him in blackface with his tongue sticking out 
and another video or a photo that surfaced of him in blackface singing Dale, Missy Dale at a fucking high school college, sorry, at a high school talent show. He sang Dale in blackface at a high school talent show. And what I want to know is, did he win? Did he win? What place did he come in the talent show? Did he ride the back of his father's fame like the rest of his fucking family members, like his stupid mother, Margaret Trudeau, you know, out there slanging her stupid story at comedy festivals, (laughs) you know, trying to get her last 15 minutes of fame off the back of Pierre Trudeau? Did he win that talent show off the back of his father's fame? They like a mimi wango home. Okay, and the award for first place in the high school talent show goes to. What do you know? Pierre, I mean, uh, Justin Trudeau. Yay, are you fucking special? Didn't you do something? Didn't you do something, Trust Trudeau? Yay. Didn't you earn something, Trudeau? Yay. Justin. Uh, I actually laughed quite hard when I first heard about this story. It's quite funny. I mean, you know, it's it's just funny to see, wow, you know, this bureaucratic pundit, this babbling social justice warrior is just pretty much just like the rest of them. I voted for his punk ass. Um, I liked his youth. I liked his enthusiasm. I liked the fact that he did have a legacy in Canada with his father, Pierre Trudeau. Um, I thought he would be pretty cool. But I also did think he was a schwarmy douchebag. I did think he was a disconnected person. He seemed like somebody out of touch with uh, the everyday person. These these people that he's trying to champion. He Poor little rich boy. That's what I thought of him as. Yeah, just some schwarmy fucking prime minister's son. Blue-eyed, baby-faced fuckhead. And, um... Yeah, he pretty much proved himself right. Or he proved me right, rather. And, uh, you know... But it did get me thinking, man. Because, you know... On one hand, it's like... You know... Would I ever want to be judged... By the things I did as a 16-year-old child? And granted, actually... uh, some of the things that surfaced as of late were like from 2001. So he was like in his 30s then, but I believe somewhere at like 30 or late 20s. So, but still, do you want to be judged by your former self when you've made so many strides for change? And, you know, how, you know, how far back do you dig into a person's life to judge them? That raises a good question. How far back into a person's life can you dig in order to judge them? Where is the line of forgiveness and damnation? You know? So there's definitely that question. But the flip side to that is, you know, you know, some people might say see that as no big deal. 
Some people might say that or see that as, oh, you know, something happened in the past. It was tasteless at best. And, you know, hopefully this man can be allowed to move on and we don't hold him to the flames too long. Yes, that's true. But imagine from the position of, let's say, myself. He dressed up in brown face, depicting like, you know, the Indian culture with the turban and allegedly mocking it. And he dressed up in blackface, obviously to depict, mock, whatever, the black culture. Now I'm a black man. How am I supposed to feel looking at the leader, the prime minister of my nation, the leader of my nation, the prime minister of Canada? How am I supposed to look at that guy and be like, oh, wow, he represents me. He has me and people like me. My interests in mind. I can trust in this man. He's a great example of uh, multiculturalism and the melting pot in which we call Canadian culture. Wow. How am I supposed to look at that with any sense of, like, credibility? You know? I really don't know. So what is the line of forgiveness and damnation? Me work all night on a drink of rum. In daylight come and me one go home. Six foot, seven foot, eight foot bunch. You black-faced bureaucrat. <sighs> Throw him out there. Stick the dogs on him, you know. I don't know what to do with him. It's not for me to decide anyway. But, hey, food for thought. What do you think? Hit me up, dear Canada. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Intergalactic international listeners, hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What do you think of this? What's the line of damnation and forgiveness? How should a person feel who sees that, you know? How should a person feel who is of that culture and witnesses the leader of their nation dress up and mock their culture? And that's exactly what it was. It was a mockery. I mean, it wasn't done in any flattering sense. It was a joke, a poorly timed joke, maybe a tasteless joke. You know, in a lot of of regards, I actually kind of find it funny. But I find it funny from like maybe my uh, frat brother, or, you know, maybe, uh, you know, some bow's head, some bonehead going fucking trick-or-treating. But to see the prime minister of my country dressed up like a fucking, oh, la, la, oh, la, la, fucking Al Jolson up there. What the fuck, right? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. And before I depart from you this blessed morning, I would like to speak on the matter of God. Uh, You know, maybe that's how God should feel. Casual. A part of you. You know? I like how I casually roll. Well, maybe not so casual. I'm going from racist minstrel show to um, the loving arms of a lord. But, uh, you know, maybe it's not the casualest of uh, the most casual of transitions. But I do feel kind of casual speaking about this. Because I think that's how, at least that's how my idea of God is. It's very casual. 
I see God in the trees. I hear God in the sparrows. I feel God in the grass when I'm walking through. And that's how I feel of God. And, uh, you know, I had a little situation this week. So I thought I'd speak on it. And when I say situation, that just came out dramatic. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. Uh, No, just a cool little thing happened, and I thought I'd speak on it. So as I mentioned earlier, or maybe I didn't, I don't know. Just for Laugh Festival. Yes, the stand-up comedy, well, the comedy festival. There's sketch comedy, stand-up comedy, uh, humorous conversations. So things like that. Um, The Just for Laugh Festival, Touchdown in Toronto this uh, past weekend. Or sorry, yeah, yeah, like this past Thursday, September 19th, going into September 29th. So um, it's this festival, worldwide, world-renowned comedy festival. And um, so, yeah, I was excited to go check out some of the acts. And um, I went and saw a couple shows, had a great time. Um, I went to a show Friday night, and um, it was great. Really enjoyed it. And as I was leaving the venue, um, I'm walking, and at the front door, there's a security guard. And the security guard's trying to, like, call to a lady to return a glass. She had taken one of the venue's glasses, apparently. So she's walking through the street with an empty glass. And he's like, Miss, can I please have the glass back? She mutters something um, inaudible, kind of muttered some shit and waved her hand. And as she waved her hand that was holding the glass, she she had spilled booze, some kind of beverage. She spilled she spilled booze or some sort of beverage all over the security guard. It got all over his arm. She spilled shit all over his arm. And he's standing there and he's, you know, he's flicking his arm and he's looking dejected and He's standing there holding the door for people, and people are just streaming past him, you know, and, you know, just, he looked real beggarly, beggarly, you know, he looked real fucking servile, just humiliated, and, you know, all he's trying to do is do his job, and, you know, I felt bad for the dude, right? Because, you know, I'm a working guy, and nothing bothers me more than when people are just obnoxious. Because I've been very obnoxious in my life as an alcoholic. And going forward, I try to be as diplomatic and just to leave a good tone wherever I go. I ain't trying to cause ripples and waves. I ain't trying to be a dickhead. And I see her, that lady, she's acting like a complete dickhead. Spilling drinks on the fucking security guard. So as I'm passing by the dude, I go, Hey man, that sucked. Have a good night, bro. And he goes, yeah, man, thanks. And like, you know, you could, you could tell he, he kind of appreciated the acknowledgement of, oh, somebody treated you poorly when you're just working, right? Like, he got treated poorly. He looked kind of dumb. Like, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. Somebody spill water on you or whatever, booze. Spill some shit on you while you're working. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, that sucked. Have a good night. And he's like, thanks, man. And I could tell he kind of appreciated it. But as I walk on, I get to thinking, I'm like, oh, my God, like, the way I said it, the volume in which I said it, and kind of the narrow hallway of the exit, the narrow exit and the volume in which I said it, it almost sounded as if I was saying, the show sucked. You know, like, that sucked. 
as if I was talking about the show. And I was like, ah, no, how, no, right? And then I, I really started to worry. I really started to worry, like, oh, my God, like, do these people think that, you know, I'm like, because it was a great show. Everybody had a great time. The comic was very funny. And everybody had a good time. And I don't want to cast a negative shadow on people or, you know, throw out negative energy. And it's like, oh, no, I hope nobody mistook me for, like, just exclaiming aloud, that sucked, and storming out of the venue. Like, you know what I mean? The show was already over at this point. People were leaving. But still, you know, everybody's on a high. Everybody's elated. Everybody's feeling that buzz of, yeah, we just laughed our asses off. We had a good time. Why would I want to throw a fucking wrench in the gears, right? And as I was walking down the street, I just, you know, I got this flashback, like I said, as an alcoholic, as I mentioned earlier, just all the obnoxious stupidities, things I've done. I remember one time I was at a concert and I was just screaming, you suck, you suck. And, you know, it was a fairly small music hall and they could totally hear me. Everybody could hear me. And I'm just screaming at the band, you suck. I'm just fucking off my tits drunk. And I remember this girl was like, stop it. Stop it. Why are you doing that? Stop it. And I'm, ha- I'm having this flashback of like, oh, fuck. I feel like I'm, I've reverted. You know, like I've returned to a former self. You know? And that also borders on the line of forgiveness, right? Forgiveness and damnation. And... uh Granted, mine wasn't as public and as far-reaching as dressing up in blackface. Oh, Massa, I'd like to address the uh, old uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. I is Prime Minister Trudeau, and I'd like to address the Canadian people. Oh, I sure is sorry I was in blackface. Mm-hmm. I'm, oh, I'm sure is sorry, boss. I hope you vote for me this election season, boss. Oh, Canada. So obviously, like, mine wasn't as far-reaching and as, you know, the forgiveness I seek is mainly for myself, I guess. Like, I'm not seeking the forgiveness of the Canadian people. But it's like, you know, I carry this guilt of, like, my former self when I would get drunk and ramble on and yell and act obnoxious. And it just came over me in a wave, a wave of, oh, fuck. Like, this is how you used to be, just a fucking bonehead. And I was just like, ooh. And I was feeling it hard, man. And it was really sticking with me. And I'm just like, ah, fuck. Like, I really hope that's not how I was, you know, I hope I wasn't misunderstood. I'm just this person who, oh, I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. Oh, Lord, please don't make me be misunderstood. I was like, yo, don't make me be misunderstood. And, you know, it was really fucking grating on me, really wearing on me. I mean, you know, it did. It really bothered me. I was walking home that day and just was a funk was on me, right? But, you know, the more and more I thought about it, I thought and thought and I said, you know what, man? Sometimes you got to let go and forgive yourself of the guilt, you know, that's not who I am today. Those weren't my intentions. If that's what somebody fucking interpreted, I can't take control of that. And I do know 
I reached and I do know I touched the the security guy. He was touched by my actions. You could tell. It's like, you know, I let him go of the embarrassment. You know, he you could see in his face he felt kind of embarrassed and flustered and I quickly and and my saying to him, "Hey man, that sucked. Have a good night." I kind of gave him some freedom. You know, I broke the spell of, "Hey, look, you look like an idiot." Or you know, it's like, "Hey man, we see we saw what happened." was embarrassing. Fuck that idiot. Have a good night, bro. And he, and you could tell he appreciated it, right? So there was some good that came from it. And I'm overthinking things, but that's how I feel sometimes, right? I just I feel real haunted by my past um my past self, my former self, my drunken self, right? Sometimes I feel haunted. And you know, I was the guilt was coming on hard. And as I'm walking home, I'm walking home, plodding home, and you know, I'm just thinking, oh, what the fuck? And I'm walking. And I turn a corner, you know, down this street, and I make a very sharp veer across the street, and as I'm walking, right in my path is a five dollar bill. And I bend over and I pick up the $5 bill and I put it in my pocket and that's when it hits me. Oh yeah, there is a God. <laughs> you know, that's how I think of my higher power sometimes. It's not like God gave me $5 and money means anything. It's the fact of, you know, of all the randomness of walking in a city What are the chances that during a moment of self-doubt, during a moment of self-guilt, during a moment of self-questioning, as I'm walking and I'm making a very specific um, path for myself home. I mean, this isn't, I'm off the beaten path. I'm, I'm making, you know, I'm cutting through alleys. It's a very random uh, trajectory that I'm walking. What are the chances that there's going to be a $5 bill exactly in my path? That's my chair squeaking, not me farting. What are the chances of that happening? And that's happened to me in my early sober life. I remember when I first got sober, I was maybe sober, um, I don't know, six months or something, something like that. Yeah, it was like around six months of sobriety I was at. And it was just one of those beautiful mornings. It was a beautiful like August summer morning kind of cool. I was walking across a field to go to work. I was working a different job at the time. And I'm walking across this open field. Think about an open field. Trinity Bell Woods Park, if any of y'all are from Toronto. I was cutting through Trinity Bell Woods Park, August morning. Kind of cool. Bit of a fog, you know, bit of dew on the grass. Just a beautiful, calm morning. And I'm cutting on a diagonal through this field. And as I'm walking, as I get to the very edge of the uh, sidewalk where the sidewalk meets the grass, basically at the end of the field, on a very random trajectory, there's a $5 bill exactly in my path. How do you explain that? How random is that? That it would be exact. When I say exactly in my path, I mean right in my path, right in alignment with where I'm walking. 
So that's like symbolic to me. Like, okay, you're going right. You're going on the right path. And that's how I speak to my higher power sometimes, you know, whether it be a bird or a squirrel up in a tree. That's how I listen and hear my higher power. And, you know, I thought I'd mention that story. Um, Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Do you have a God? Does your God give you money? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Other than that, I'm feeling very fit, uh, feeling very happy, fortunate, hallelujah. Hey, it's another day at the office. It's your old tucker buddy, guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran, reporting live for duty on this magnificent September 23rd in the year of our Lord, 2019. Yes, I spoke on um, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the blackface incident. I spoke on matters of um, lottery winnings, murder that comes with that. I spoke on um, the poor dead end proposal, you know, that poor bastard who drowned proposing to his girlfriend. Hit me up if you have anything to say on that. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Again, I spoke on God. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Um, I'm on, what am I on? I'm on YouTube. Check me out on YouTube. I'm on iTunes. Check me out on iTunes. I'm on Spotify. Check me out on Spotify. Hit up my website, jonathan-ramtran.com. Aight? Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, you live it, you love it, you realize it. Alright? Peace.